Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. I told you that I'd be talking to a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Alan Jackson. So he's not just my friend. He has a job. He's the pastor uh, of a church where I've had the honor of uh, preaching many times, World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, a fabulous church, uh, and uh, just a joy to be with you in person in the studio in New York City. Pastor Alan Jackson, my friend, welcome. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be with you in the city. It's, it's, you're always just fun to talk to, but the problem, of course, is where there's so many things we can talk about. The last time you were on, we talked about your book, Big Trouble Ahead. So why don't we start there, because there's a whole bunch of issues, kind of current events issues I want to talk to you about, um, kind of some of them very exciting. But let's start with you, if you don't mind, reprising the thesis of your book, Big Trouble Ahead. Basically, what do you say in that book? Well, I think the idea was the pandemic uh, was not a conclusion. It was an entry into a new season. And from this vantage point, I really think it was a gift feels like the curtain got pulled back and we became so much more aware of what had been happening to us. It wasn't new. Uh, the, maybe the downside of that is I think there's more disruption in front of us and we have to learn the lessons from that pandemic in order to flourish in what's before us. But the good news is we can flourish. God's not frightened or intimidated. You know, I never thought of this before, but it was kind of like Pearl Harbor. Nobody says Pearl Harbor was a good thing, but it woke up America uh, and it made us understand, okay, now uh, we've got to put our, our shoes on and uh, go to war with imperialist powers that we've been kind of ignoring. Uh, sometimes bad things can be the, the wake-up call that activates uh, us, whoever we are. And you're, you're right to see it that way. And, of course, that's a biblical view, right? We, we think Romans eight twenty eight. Really bad things, if we give them to God, the Lord can use. And he is doing that. I mean, what you, you know, what, what happened during COVID, and again, you say this in the book we said in our conversation, it, it has activated a lot of people. It's made them realize, I can't sit on my hands anymore. I can't just go to church on Sunday and say I'm done. It's activated some people. I'm not ready to say it's activated a lot yet. Yeah. But I think awakened is a really good analogy. When you're asleep, you're uninvolved, you're unconcerned. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's a natural state of being, but it's not fruitful. And at some point, we have to wake up. And the question is, are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are you still playing shuffleboard on the deck of the Titanic complaining about the hors d'oeuvres? Right. And we've got to make a choice now whether we're going to look at the truth and do something about it right. or keep pretending that we don't notice. Well, uh, and, and obviously in my book, which I spoke with you about on your podcast and at your church, Letter to the American Church, you know, I'm trying to make the biblical case like, hey, folks, where did, where did we drift to where we thought we didn't need to be active citizens putting our faith into action in every sphere? Where do we get that unbiblical idea? And can we get away from that unbiblical idea? And I've been thinking about a, a, a lot about Bonhoeffer over the years. He was trying to make this case in Germany that, hey, church, this is your job. This is not a hobby. This is your job. Your faith has to be lived out in every sphere. And when evil threatens you, when authoritarian regimes, tyrannous regimes are taking away your rights, it's your job to do something about it. 
uh, and I and I and I do I agree with you. Some people are waking up. Certainly not enough. But you and I are both making the case in our in our different spheres. Um, I guess uh, I, I want to talk to you about so many things. There's no doubt that one of the craziest things that's happened in the last few years is the transgender, uh, you know, uh, issue. Where in the world did this come from, and how is it that people are unwilling to call a spade a spade, to say, excuse me, this is crazy. Five minutes ago we decided men can become women and women can become men. Who made that decision, and who's telling me that I have to agree with that decision? I mean, as a pastor, how, how how do you talk about that? Well, you ask about the origins. I think it's the pit of hell. You know, God's not the author of confusion. I think the awkward part of this is it hasn't begun in the last few months. Vanderbilt was doing gender modification surgeries on minors before COVID. We just didn't know it. It wasn't garnering headlines. It was a profit center for them. And the good news is COVID began to awaken us to the almost complete capitulation of the medical community to political ideology. They've stepped away from their Hippocratic oath and their first do no harm commitment, and they're engaging in doing harm for profit. That's awkward to say, but from this point in the COVID drama, we have to be willing to say it. Equally striking is the silence of the church. You know, you don't have to read very far into the book before it says God created them male and female. So you don't even have to read for the punchline. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't revisited it. It's not confusing. You know, Budweiser put a trans person on their can lately. It's worked out really well for them. But I I suspect if you could interview one of the veterinarians that takes care of the Clydesdales for Budweiser, they have delivered hundreds of foals. When those new foals arrive, there's never been confusion, whether it was a colt or a filly. They have clarity. Or whether it came out of a stallion, perhaps. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, I'm glad you brought up the... Bud Weezer, um, I have said over and over again, when really, really foolish, selfish, uh, crazy people overreach, we have to react. We have to say, okay, Anheuser-Busch, you're dead. I will never order another Stella Artois, which I now understand is uh, an Anheuser-Busch product. I would never, uh, I would tell everyone I know Never, ever to order another Anheuser-Busch product, but like why? Because what they have done is despicable. It is very similar to when you talk about doctors taking money. I mean, it, it. look, you and I have a biblical worldview. We understand there's this thing called satanic evil in the world, and we kind of pretend like, well, we don't have that in America anymore. Taking money to do something like most of these transgender surgeries it blows our minds that that somebody would get a medical degree, would enter this hallowed profession, and then would prostitute themselves and do anything to make a ton of money, even though most of them know this this can't end well, or or maybe not even care whether it ends well. Just know that I'm going to make a lot of money, and I've got the culture on my side. And when people do that, I mean, when 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 uh, Anheuser-Busch just did that, it is a slap in the face of every single American uh, beer drinker and teetotaler alike. It's just a slap in the face. And I think it's incumbent on us uh, as part of waking up to say, 
I will, I will never spend a dime there. I will never spend a dime with Disney when they stand with the groomers. We, but, but the, the problem, uh, Pastor Allen, is that we still have a lot of people in the church that don't understand that it, it's our job to be full citizens, not just to be citizens in this little theological world and let, then let the devil run rampant throughout the rest of the culture. Yeah. There, you know better than I do. There's some historical precedents for this. This is Mengele-like, what we're doing to our children. And the capitulation of the church, it's not the first time we've seen this. It's happened throughout history. But I think the challenge we face today is the reluctance amongst church leaders to talk about what's happening in our culture. We've been trained in theology. So we'll, we're happy to do a presentation or write a paper on Pauline theology. But we're reluctant to embrace what's happening in our culture. But the reality is the scripture is filled with that. There are no Hebrew prophets if we don't acknowledge their engaging culture. Uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up in the streets of Jerusalem and says, you killed the Messiah. That's offensive language. It, it's a very, Jesus was provocative. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath and there's a man with a shriveled hand. And he's, he looks at the gathered people and said, is it, is it appropriate to do right on the Sabbath? And they won't answer because they, they want to trap him. So he heals the man. He purposely antagonizes them with the truth. And we have to recognize that we have an assignment to antagonize ungodliness with the truth from the Word of God and our biblical worldview. And the church has withdrawn from that because we wanted to be friends, and we don't want to lose our invitations to the parties, and we want to be accepted when we go to the club. So we are dumbly silent because we don't talk about faith or politics in polite company any longer. We've been called to be salt and light and salt and light are disruptive influences in our lives. You know, it's almost funny when when I think about when I when I wrote my book on um, uh, William Wilberforce, right? How people cheer that this guy, you know, this politician brings his faith into politics and abolishes the slave trade. Isn't it great that he did that? Uh, or people cheer Bonhoeffer for bringing his faith to speak up for the Jews. And and to, and now when it comes to us. All, not all, but many of the Christians who who cheered those figures in reading my books, and it, they say, "Well, but 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 not now. We're not supposed to be political." And and you and I are making the cases when we can. That's nonsense. That is not a biblical worldview. Okay, so sticking with uh, current events, um, there was a shooting recently, uh, not far from you. At a Christian school, uh, a, a trans terrorist, a crazy woman uh, who wrote a manifesto that they will not show us, clearly specifically targeted Christians. And the media is afraid to, to look into this, to talk about this. It doesn't fit their narrative. Well, I would say that a little differently. They're not afraid. They're purposely hiding the ball. It's, it's become a part of their propaganda where they hide the truth and they give you the narrative they want. There has nothing to do with fear. It's intentional manipulation. And the Christians have got to become more savvy consumers. This would have been a hate crime if you'd have plugged any other minority into that school. If it had been a Hispanic school, a Jewish school, a Muslim school, a black school, it would have been a hate crime before the sun went down. It was a Christian school. The, purpose, the person clearly went hunting Christian, hunting Christian children and some specific children, and they won't release the documentation that says that. I know some of the officers that have worked on it. It's not a mystery. They're hiding that. 
and we don't demand the truth. It's unfortunate until the Christians decide to stand up. You know, we, we've reached a, a pivot point, and honestly, I don't know what the outcome is going to be because I don't see enough expressions of courage right now to cause me to believe we're going to walk this back. Uh, I, I think the current generation of young people or old people, we, we couldn't repeat Normandy because we wouldn't load those landing crafts and head into that fire. It's going to take that kind of a commitment to see a biblical worldview come back to the public square. They are hunting Christians. They're telling us that Christians aren't, a, they're not welcome in a school because putting Christian student teachers are dangerous for the students and the population. Now, that's been walked back by a court. But the school board said it, and nobody in the media said anything, and the Christians didn't stand up for themselves. At what point, you know, you and I, we've listened to the interviews with the Holocaust survivors. You can hear in the shock in their voice 50 years later, I was the president of the bank in Berlin, or I was the head of the university in somewhere, and they came for me. I've come to the realization that they came for the people that were below those positions of the power, and they stayed silent because they thought they were insulated. They never thought it would reach them. Folks, they are coming for us. And if we don't stand up and tell the truth and defend our children and defend our families, what freedom we have left will be taken from us. It's time to find the courage to be Christ followers in the public square. I keep... uh Quoting, I don't, I don't know the exact verse, but it's one of the last verses in the scripture in Revelation about who will be cast into the lake of fire. And it says, the cowardly. And I thought, wow, what could be clearer? Courage is not extra credit Christianity. Mm-hmm. Courage is fundamental because it follows that if you have real faith, you say, okay, I'm, I'm saved by faith. I'm saved. By, okay. If you have real faith, then you will have courage. If you don't have courage, it kind of proves that you don't really believe these things, that you're hedging your bets. And you're quite right. We've, we've raised, I mean, look, C.S. Lewis wrote about this, what, 75 years ago in Men Without Chests, The Abolition of Ban, that when, when you raise people um, who kind of sneer at honor and dignity and courage, um, particularly with regard to men, you're raising men without chests. You're 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 raising uh, people to be um, selfish, uh, not to be noble, not to be chivalrous. That's what we're talking about. When we think about the boys that landed in those amphibious craft, uh, you know, on D-Day, you you do wonder today whether uh, we would be able to stand against the evil of Nazism, uh, and I guess. Um, well, we, <clears throat> you, and, you and I know that, w- that we have a long way to go because we, we haven't taught these things in the schools, but we haven't even, the main thing, and this is what gets to where we are, we're not teaching them in the churches. We're not teaching a muscular Christianity, an activist, courageous Christianity. That's the kind of Christianity that abolished the slave trade. That's the kind of Christianity that, that, that helped wipe out slavery in America, that helped Lincoln win a war, uh, it seems like we've forgotten that that's really what it is to have faith, is to live out your faith. But let's distill it back one step further. When we say it's not happening in the churches, we feel a little bit absolved because we're not the pastor or the church leader. It has to start at the kitchen table. We have to have the courage as parents to teach our children what nobility is, what honor is, what dignity is. Our aspirations for our children have to be greater than their happiness or to have the cutest dress at the prom or the biggest limo 
when they, they go with their peers. We have to be willing for our children to engage in the difficult issues of our generation, to plant in their hearts the aspiration to be difference makers. If we'll do that at the kitchen table, if we'll tell the truth at the kitchen table, and then we'll have the boldness to take the truth to the holiday table with that expanded family, there's going to be repercussions because every family tree has a few fruits and nuts, and it's going to be an awkward conversation. But then we have to lead with our faith when we go to the ball fields and we're sitting in the bleachers with our peers where we're watching children and grandchildren to be willing to acknowledge that we're Christ followers and talk about what's happening in the world. If we'll bring that back to the fabric of our lives, churches will suddenly become filled with a new kind of courage. Unfortunate, but most pastors are employees. If the places they're serving have people that have a different kind of courage and strength, churches will find a new voice. Well, that's part of what is happening, uh, and you and I have talked about it, that churches that are being bold on this stuff, they're seeing their numbers increase. Churches that are hedging their bets and being quiet— they're they're trying to cling to the people that they've had. They're losing them. Um, I really do think I said it that, that there's a sifting going on. That things are so bad that your your average American is looking for truth, looking for leadership, looking for courage. And when churches dare to talk about these things, as you do at World Outreach. Uh, they're finding greater audiences, sometimes online and in person. But I hear this over and over again. The, ch- the churches that invite me tend to be the ones that they all have the same story, that we've grown since uh, uh, COVID, where we're, 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 more people are coming. And the churches that refuse to talk about this stuff, that want to, quote unquote, stick to the theology as though you could, which you can't, but 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 they... They are wanting to go back to, I don't know, uh, you know, 2015, 1985. I don't know what, where they think we can go back to. But what I say is this is silence in the face of evil. This is the, God will not hold us guiltless. You are obliged to talk about these things. You're obliged to connect the dots. You're not doing you're actually not preaching the whole counsel of Scripture if you avoid some of these hot button issues or if you refuse to make the connections from what the Scripture says to what we do about it in, in our lives today. Yeah, if I could speak to the pastors or even the board members or the presbyteries or the, the leadership in those congregations, Christian leaders are trained to study the social context from which Scripture emerged. They've spent hundreds of hours learning about first century culture so you could understand the New Testament or 10th century B.C. culture so you could understand the monarchy in Israel. It makes no sense to understand first century culture and then not apply your faith to the 21st century culture. So we are not breaking the traditions of Christianity to become some sort of political activist. We're following our training. Our faith can only be understood in the light of the world we live in. To do less than that is to deny your faith. It's a false church. It's a false gospel. It's another gospel. It's not a new thing. It's happened throughout history. You mentioned Germany earlier. The big segment of the church in Germany went along with the public doctrine and the propaganda so they didn't lose their place at the table. We will be evaluated. I'm not concerned about history. I'm concerned about God. He will judge us if we don't have the courage. When God was preparing Joshua to lead the the Hebrew slaves into the promised land, the message he gave him more than a half a dozen times was be strong and courageous. And I think if we will start there in our homes, with our friends, with our families, we will see a different outcome. I really do feel like uh, the, the season in which we find ourselves, which is difficult, it is strengthening 
a lot of people's faith. In, in other words, it's forcing us to, to decide, do I really believe this? Now, some people are shrinking back and saying, well, I just I don't want any trouble, which is kind of, you know, like the, the, the German pastors that said, well, I don't want to lose my uh, my salary. I don't want to lose. I, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. We now look at them as, as they're the ones that allowed the satanic evil of the Nazis to gain control of the entire nation. Bonhoeffer said that the church is the conscience of the state. And, and I really see the parallel happening now. And again, I've talked about this with you before, but it's pretty dramatic because it's so easy for us to judge the German church back then. And we're, we're being guilty of the same thing. We just think it can't happen here just as they were sure it couldn't happen there. Well, it's similar to me to the person who re- realizes your health is declining, but you don't want to go to the doctor and get a bad diagnosis, when in reality the path towards health is finding out the truth so you know how to resolve it. I've cultivated this little habit of writing down headlines on a regular basis. If, the, if your listeners will practice that, it'll help them a lot. Defund the police. Open the border. Don't prosecute criminals. Uh, encourage drug use and take away their guns. Wait a minute. If you're following that, there's a logic break. And if you'll write down those headlines, about every fourth or fifth one, there will be a break in logic. They're manipulating us with propaganda. Pay attention. Have the courage. Cultivate a biblical worldview. Get your Bible out. Read it. You need Christian encouragement and fellowship. It's not complicated, but it's going to take some determination. Well, it really is interesting because many people, as you said, they don't want to know. They want to pretend this bad stuff isn't happening. It will go away. It will resolve itself. You hear people say, well, I believe the pendulum swings back and forth. And, you know, you, you want to say, hey, idiot, have you heard of the Holocaust? Like, is that how far the pendulum needs to swing? Do you not feel a moral responsibility uh, to, to step in before things go in that direction? But people, they act like, well, that was a weird thing that happened to some people at some point, but it can happen here. And I keep making the case, well, that's why it happened there, because they didn't believe it could happen there. These were Christians in Germany who refused somehow to take responsibility. I, I, I want to talk to you about so many uh, other things, if I can uh, keep you for a little while longer. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about lawlessness. Uh, why don't we at least just touch on that in the minute or so we have left? The, the opening of the border, just disregard for fundamentals. Well, again, this isn't new. I think the hardest thing about this season is we act like it snuck up on us. What we have to acknowledge is we weren't paying attention. We've had sanctuary cities for well over a decade. We had major American cities not honoring federal law but demanding federal dollars, and we tolerated it. We've had a flood of people coming across our border for a long time. We, we, how many times do we have to grant amnesty to the newest set of people who have come here illegally. Which part of illegal don't we understand? If I'm making illegal withdrawals from the bank, they're going to put me under the jail. We have been tolerating lawlessness for a long season, and now we wake up and we're startled that it's arrived. We've got a whole level of bureaucracy that has been built on lawlessness and ignoring the rules of law. We're going to have to have the courage to come back and say it's not okay. And if we will do that, then we've got to stop taking the free stuff. We've got to stop letting them pay off our loans or give us points on our mortgage or whatever the promise of the day. Or they float out an idea like equity. I should get what you have so I have a better future. It's lawlessness. 
and it will destroy us and destroy our children and our grandchildren. Well, again, I'm convinced that more and more people every single day are waking up to this, but they need leaders in the church to make it clear. Uh, And it's interesting because part of what we see in the church is this kind of drifting where 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 we drift you know into this kind of a heresy and then we drift back into the opposite heresy it, so when you talk about law law and order you could you could hear a lot of christians saying well wait a minute what about grace and love as though we're advocating for for law and order against grace and love clearly we're not but there are a lot of people who seem to kind of sloppily slide into grace and love and forget that if you're not grounded uh, in law and order, you're going to have less grace and love. Yeah, we, there's a lot of confusion in the church. You know, it's, it's been a sloppy grace. We've had this gospel of salvation, which I believe in conversion, being born again, the new birth, that divine supernatural entrance into the kingdom of God. But we've stopped our story at that point, and we've told far too many people that if you take that step of faith, if you recite a little prayer, then you can live your life any way you want to, and you can roll back in with kind of a chirpy little, oh, I'm sorry, and everything's good. And there's no obligation to honor the Lord with your life. And we've said that for so long that before lawlessness ever made its way into the culture, we lost any sense of God's boundaries in the church. We have The reason we have no moral authority to talk about transgenderism is we've winked and nodded at fornication. We've winked and nodded at adultery. We said, it's not that big a deal. You know, we can live together. We can do whatever we want to do. We've moved marriage for the most part out of the church. You get married in a barn, on a beach. You have a party with your friends. You know, the church was a little bit inhibiting. The sense that it's a covenant between a man and a woman in the sight of God. The church hasn't been willing to hold that idea up because it would cause us to be ostracized a little bit. If the church will come back and be who we're supposed to be, we'll see it reflected in the culture again. That's what Christians waiting for the next politician or political party to fix us is idolatry. We have an assignment to be the conscience of the culture. If we'll have the courage to do that at our kitchen table, at our holiday table, and with our friends, we'll see a change in the culture. Well, again, it is interesting. It takes some uh, courage. And, and yet what I say everywhere I go is that if we actually believe that Jesus defeated death on the cross— then we are utterly free to say, to speak the truth. We're not supposed to uh, say, well, uh, this will happen to me or that will happen to me. We're supposed to have this joyous freedom that he has given us by dying and defeating death on the cross, rising from the dead. And in a way, if you have a full-throated faith in that Jesus, you're free. And if you don't, you're not free. You're afraid. You're governed by fear. You're looking around, wondering where the consequences are. And we have, I guess, because we've been so blessed as a nation and as a culture, we've really gotten soft and unwilling to pay uh, the prices that previous generations have had to pay. Um, and and so that's why we've, we've just kind of drifted uh, to, to where we are. But as we've been saying in the conversation, people... Some people are waking up, some people. But what I get excited about is that there's a lot of non-believers waking up and voicing common sense truths. And in a sense, and God always does this, shaming Christians into, you know, uh, who, who do I have to listen to to hear common sense? A comedian or whatever. I should be hearing it from my fellow Christians. I should be hearing it from the pulpit. Um, so there's just something interesting happening in the culture that things are so bad that a lot of people who 
are, are just noticing that these things are preposterous, are daring to talk about them, and where, when a lot of Christians are kind of hanging back. Yeah, the theater of the absurd has become so bizarre. And we're, some of us are actually growing weary with being given bread and being sent to the circus, that we're starting to grapple with what's happening. You see, I, I don't think that we're motivated just by freedom. We should be motivated by the obligation of love. We have an obligation to tell the truth. That's an expression of love. If you go to the oncologist and he doesn't tell you you're sick, he's not your friend operating in love. He's a quack and it's malpractice. And the church has been a little guilty. But as you said, we're waking up in record numbers. COVID's a gift. If we could thank God for the pandemic, it's like the curtain's been pulled back. And there's all these people now stepping into the light and we're blinking. It's a little uncomfortable. But God is mobilizing us. There's something good ahead of us. Well, that's what I, I feel like every time, you know, the enemy overreaches, uh, it, it's an opportunity for us to say, oh, I didn't I hadn't seen that. I hadn't noticed that. But it's become so become so silly. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember when uh, Bruce Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair, you know, in his guise as Caitlin. I remember thinking, this is so crazy. I don't even know where to turn. And that was just the beginning of this crazy stuff. And people in America, I guess, I mean, you you know this as well as I do, but like if we have a kind of a national sin, it's we want to be liked, we're nice. You know, the Germans followed orders. We all have things that can be good, but that can turn bad. And when you are kind of tolerating something that's like an in-your-face crazy, uh, you know, sometimes that's politeness. And other times it's just fear of man. Yeah, well, you used the pendulum discussion earlier, and I think we're guilty of that in America, and it's especially in the church. You no, know, the pendulum always swings back this way. Things balance out. Now, th- that, that idea really expresses a profound ignorance of history. The British lost the empire. Rome did collapse. The, the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem, and the temple was burned. The pendulum does not always come back to center. It requires choices on our part and some intentional decisions. Or I'm with groups of Christians frequently, and they say, well, you know, the the church is the sleeping giant. I pray that's true, but I have enough experience in the church. I don't know that there's a giant sleeping. I think there might be something small sleeping, and I pray it wakes up. But I think we're going to have to seek the Lord as if our lives depended upon it. Right. We're going to have to get far more intentional. You and me, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody else. I've got to know the Lord in a better way next week than I know him this week. In greater power, I have to recognize the voice of his spirit. We have followed the conventional wisdom of the secular culture for so long, we don't recognize the truth any longer. It's uncomfortable to us. I'm not asking somebody else to be the difference. I'm saying I'll change my schedule, my life. I'll be vulnerable. Let's go tell the truth. Well, it again, it's fascinating. We're living through something that, you know, a few years ago, we couldn't have imagined. Mm-mm. When you talk about COVID pulling the curtain back, uh, I, I have to say that it, it really, it's a process for people. It was a process for me. At first, I kind of thought, well, okay, whatever. They're going to get a vaccine. Everything will be fine. And then more and more and more, you, I was horrified uh, when my w- wife would say, you know, they're sending uh, – they're sending uh, people into the nursing homes and, you know, kind of implying that they know this is going to increase the death rate. And I remember thinking they, they wouldn't do that. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't do something like that. 
Um, a lot of people feel that way about the, the voter fraud, about election fraud. They wouldn't do that. And you think, well, OK, wait, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Why do I believe I live in a world where evil has been conquered uh, so that people aren't tempted, people in power aren't tempted? So we've all been waking up slowly, you know, in fits and starts to what what is going on. And then the question, and this is the big question, will enough of us wake up in time? We talk about a sleeping giant. I always talk about, you know, Gulliver being tied down by Lilliputians. He's a sleeping giant. And as long as he's sleeping, they can tie him down. If he wakes up before they get him tied down all the way, they're dead. But if they can just keep him sleeping, and that's basically what is happening with the church. Will the church wake up in time? Will enough of us wake up in time? Um, I want to talk to you about pure politics. Okay. Um, You uh, filmed an interview with Senator Tim Scott, whom I've had the privilege of meeting a number of times, um, he is going to be announcing a run for the presidency as a Republican. We don't know when that's going to be. Or you can't you can't even nod. Can you? We th- I mean, that's the impression I got. I heard that. That's yes. what I heard. No, okay. I think he's going to make that announcement this month unless something changes. Okay, so Senator uh, Tim Scott, and is he South Carolina? South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Um, you will be talking also to uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He has already announced uh, that he's running for the presidency on the Democrat side. This is this is crazy and exciting, and I don't know where to begin. Let's just go back to the to the presidency. And again, uh, you're a pastor, so uh, you know you can. You can say what you like, but I'm just fascinated by the idea that, for one thing, a number of Republicans are jumping in. I mean, when Larry Elder uh, jumped in, uh, obviously, um, those who know him, black, conservative, I thought, well, that's interesting. When I heard that uh, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, black, conservative, is jumping in, uh, DeSantis hasn't officially announced. Uh, Trump is uh, Trump and, and his people are are are, are uh, throwing all kinds of shade, to put it mildly, DeSantis word. And uh, so it's just it's just interesting. What, how, what do you what do you see happening? Why do you think somebody like Larry Elder or Senator Tim Scott would even enter the race? Well, I think it's a very confusing time, and there's a lack of clarity. The hatred for Trump almost seems to overshadow or hit the mute button on everybody else. But I wanted to talk to some people who are influencing policy and thought in our country that were leading with faith, even if I didn't necessarily stand next to their all of their ideologies. Um, Senator Scott was easy. He's a believer, but a courageous one. I mean, stands in the U.S. Senate and stands for a worldview that you and I would support in the face of a lot of antagonism. And I was impressed with it. And it's not an easy story. He came from a place of poverty, had to overcome a lot. He said the prayers of his mother, you know, delivered him and put him in this place. And, I mean, I I smiled when he and I talked. We've both been accused of being racist, and primarily because of our worldview. Um, That's an odd thing when you see that picture. Um, With Robert Kennedy Jr., another person with tremendous courage. I just read his um, letter to the American liberals, and he's challenging the principal tenets of liberalism that we've known in our lifetime as having collapsed. They've gone silent. They're mute. You know, things like defending free speech and 
uh, the things that we would have considered principal tenets of the platform he stood on. It takes courage to say that, particularly with his family history. I mean, his family has paid a tremendous price to, to speak into the public square. And I, I respect those men and women who are willing to lead with some courage and boldness to acknowledge what they see. Again, they're not creating anything. They're acknowledging what's happening in our world and say, I'm not going along with the mantra of shut up and do what you're told, and I'll give you another piece of bread. If, if we're going to have a future, we're going to have to be willing to help shape it. And I respect those people that are putting themselves out there and doing it. You know, what's going to happen in the election? I, I give you my opinion. I don't think the people currently in power have any intention of there being a free election. They have gained the, the reins of power, and they don't intend to release them. You know, how they'll do that, I don't have any idea, but they'll do whatever it takes. But they would never cheat or steal. Never. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, this is what's so funny is that I, you know, in my whole life, I I believe that in America, of course, we have fair elections. And I've really come to see that the, the, the moral drift uh, is such that it is clear that those on the left and some in the Republican Party as well – they don't care how they win. They don't believe in right and wrong. They don't believe uh, lying or cheating or stealing is wrong. They believe that if I can get power uh, and get away with it, I'm good to go. Now, that, that is a new thing in America, and we've got to deal with that. And so you're right. We're dealing with a lot of issues because a lot of people are going to sit home and not vote because they think, what's the point of voting? Because it's not fair. So – that's, that's, to me, the biggest problem. And I challenge that a little bit. That idea of the desire for raw power is not a new thing in America because that's a human condition. But what America has had from our founding forward was the fabric of a Christian heritage. So we had a moral base that guided our decisions. It, it guided our founding documents. It, it guided our Bill of Rights. That was the, the, the infrastructure that held us up. That has been carefully and systematically dismantled for several decades. So now we've lost the inhibitions on the raw grab for power. We'll do photo ops in front of a church, but we're no longer informed by a biblical worldview. So we see it now in the open, in the public square. It's always existed in our hearts, but we've lost that. It's like our immune system has been diminished. And so the question is, will we do the hard work to put that immune system back in place? And I, I'm not sure that answer has yet been resolved, but I have hope. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that, you know, uh, Americans are inherently different, but we did have things in place so that when I voted, I wasn't worried, will that vote be counted? And, right. I, and I knew there's been corruption uh, and we have lost you know, in our history, but, but more and more as every year passes, I have less confidence that my vote will be counted. And that actually, I, in, in my book, um, uh, If You Can Keep It, about America, I, one of the things I write about is the idea that if Americans don't believe in the system, that when I vote, my vote is counted. When I pay my taxes, it goes to the right place. If, if they cease to believe that we the people have a fair government, that we are the government, they pull away and you really do turn things over to tyrants, to, to a bureaucracy, whatever. So, so cynicism in the system. In other words, instead of saying, I've got to get in there, I've got to make sure it works, I've got to be a, a poll watcher, I've got to be – we've got to make sure that this works – uh, if, if we don't get involved and do that, uh, then for sure it will uh, it, it will drift away. Uh, so we're talking about the presidential election, and I find it just so fascinating. There, there's so much craziness out there. 
first of all, that we have somebody named Joe Biden who uh, pretends to be president, but almost everyone in America knows he's not actually running the country. That's fundamentally unconstitutional right there. And I don't believe the Democrats are going to let him run for a second term. In other words, I think that that uh, we, uh, we, we've had somebody plausibly make the case that Michelle Obama will step in. But I don't believe he's going to do that. Nonetheless, uh, here you have somebody like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. stepping in. He, as you said, has been really courageous on vaccines, re- just been absolutely uh, heroic in talking about things that other people don't want to talk about. He wrote a book called The Real Anthony Fauci. You want to talk about pulling the curtain back? Uh, There's a film coming out. So we're seeing a sifting uh, that we've never seen in our lifetimes to see parties uh, that a lot of people who would have considered themselves Democrats would vote across the aisle. Uh, A a lot of people uh, would vote for RFK Jr. before they would vote for uh, Joe Biden, it's a it's a kind of a mashup that we I, I, we've never seen in our lifetimes. You know, I think that's a it's a very accurate description, but that sounds like when God's moving to me, and I take great hope for that. You know, when I read the Book of Acts, nobody was more shocked by what happened at Cornelius's house in Caesarea than the people who were Jesus' best friends. I mean, it freaked Peter out. Peter out. It blew his mind if he hadn't had a vision multiple times, if there hadn't been an angelic intervention. And, and so they're trying to process what God is doing. And when he goes back to Jerusalem, there's more verses spent explaining it in Jerusalem than describe the original event. We're watching things happen we've never seen before. We're watching the collapse of public trust. We don't trust the CDC any longer. I did until a few years ago. We don't trust the FBI any longer. They lie to spy on sitting presidents. We understand we can't trust the CIA. They process documents that say, uh, uh, a, you know, something is Russian misinformation when they know it isn't. I mean, the list goes on. We don't trust our churches any longer. Well, the collapse of public trust has exposed our idolatry. We've trusted everybody but God. So for the people listening that see all those things happening, this isn't a disaster to me. This is God moving in the earth, preparing a church, preparing his people, awakening us. If America is going to have an extended future of freedom and liberty, it will be because the people of faith decide that faith is more important than the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or our favorite benefit that comes to us from the government. And so our foundations have been shaken, but it gives us a different future. Don't be filled with despair. Be filled with trust and hope in Almighty God. Well, despair is a sin. And when I hear particularly Christians, uh, you know, say, well, there's nothing we can do. I think like, wow, thanks for being the voice of the devil, because that's exactly what he wants you to do, to despair and to say there's nothing I can do. God calls us to fight, to do the right thing. Whether we win or lose, God, that's what God calls us to do. And he decides when it's game over. And uh, I think that's part of the challenge is that there's that there's a strain in um, uh, in, in American uh, Christendom that it's that that the the the, the nattering nabobs of negativism, to quote uh, Spiro Agnew and William Sapphire, they just they almost feel like, yeah, the world's going to it's all going to burn. There's nothing I can do, whatever. This is not a biblical view. This is the voice of the devil. And. But, but I hear it over and over, or a lot of times I'll put something out on social media and people will call, ch- chime in, in in this kind of weirdly negative way. Well, G- Jesus is the only answer. In other words, if you put 
forward a solution, they feel they've got to religiously trump you by saying, but Jesus is the only answer, as if you didn't assume that in what you were saying. But it's kind of like a hyper-religious view. It's a negative view. Uh, You have long been a voice uh, for hope and for action, and I, I just can't help but think that your your church and your influence is growing uh, because because of that. At least that's what I see uh, with other pastors that have been like you. Well, I intend to be an advocate for the kingdom of God and a biblical worldview. And if that grows, then that'll create opportunities. I'm good with that. Yeah. If, if that's diminished, I'll be diminished right along with that. Well, there you go. But I, there is hope. I see good people stepping into the public square. You've mentioned several, you know, Tim Scott, Robert Kennedy Jr. is standing up for truth in some remarkable ways. Ben Carson, you know, he's been willing to stand in the public square. Mike Huckabee. I mean, there's a long list of those people. Yeah. It's, it's not we're not absent people of courage and faith, and we, we just haven't been willing to support them. But we're changing. Again, I, I, I have a great sense of anticipation, but I don't imagine that it's going to come without conflict. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not advocating violence or belligerence or hate, but it's going to take a different kind of determination. We have apologized our way out of the public square long enough. Well, what's interesting, though, is I think uh, I worry that sometimes uh, politicians who are uh, people of faith, they they don't have the fighting spirit of somebody like a Trump. In other words, I I, I look at people that don't seem to understand what's at stake. uh, And that's what, you know, I don't know uh, Senator Tim Scott. I don't know if he would be willing to go against the deep state in the way that I believe Trump would and in a way that I believe uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. knows that the deep state murdered his uncle. Uh, He knows what he's dealing with. And my question is, yeah, he just said it. And so my question is whether some of these other folks have the fire uh, to go up against the, the, you know, the deep state, these really dark forces that have finally been exposed. It's not clear to me either. And I'm a bit amused. I hear Christians say to me, they can't support Trump because he calls people names. (laughs) I've heard that dozens of times. Like, have you read the Bible? Listen to what Jesus said. He called people names all the time. And I'm not equating President Trump and Jesus. But I mean, the the gospels are filled with Jesus calling people broods of snakes and vipers and whitewashed tombs and all sorts. The disciples would come to him and say, did you know you offended them? Yeah. I mean, as if Jesus wasn't aware of his audience. It makes me smile. And it, it's, we can't be polite with evil. We have to call well, it what it is and yeah. deal with it. And that's, and that's my concern, and it's why I have been uh, an advocate for Trump, because getting that is not a small thing. Understanding that you're dealing with, with just tremendous evil and being willing to fight. Uh, we want to fight God's way, but that still means we have to fight. Um, I'm... Sorry we're out of time. Uh, the book is Big Trouble Ahead. Uh, I've been talking to Pastor Alan Jackson, whom I thank. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment. And tell a friend to subscribe today.